here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Good morning, good afternoon, folks. This is the Drop Zone coming to you midweek. Second time this week, a rare second episode of the Drop Zone. I am Sean. I'm joined, of course, as always by Dylan. We're joined by a couple other scoundrels today, James Colgan and Luke Curtinine. We're going to dive into the players, a little bit of a preview there. We're going to talk about Jay Monahan's epic press conference, the potential that Phil Mickelson is suspended and then we're going to give you an update on the PGA Tour Stock Exchange, a fun segment we brought, uh, I guess, earlier this year, and we're going to update on it because Q1 is over. Earnings season is among us, and uh, it's time to get an update on our Q2 picks. But first, Dylan, tell the people what's up. I mean, the real reason, Sean, that we had to have a bonus episode is because we finally have the long-promised <laughs> Radmore discount code. That's right, folks. Radmore Golf, the sponsor of this wonderful golf podcast, uh, has given us a special offer. And it's a big one. I got to be honest. I'm not just saying that. This is a, a generous percentage. We're going to get you 25% off your first order at radmoregolf.com. That's R A D M O R golf.com. Uh, what is Radmore? It's a Seattle based startup uh, golf apparel company, and it's basically just like the freshest most comfortable stuff you could imagine uh it has the added benefit of being intensely sustainable um we are <laughs> anti-microfiber as we've uh told you the last couple podcasts but yes go to radmoregolf.com enter code drop zone one word at checkout and that's going to get you 25 percent off your first order i would recommend uh i mean all of it but the hoodies for sure sean's wearing one of them right now I've got a nice little mock neck shirt that I'm wearing. I'm obsessed with the mock neck. So head to radmoregolf.com. Let's get to the rest of the podcast. Sean, what do you got? Well, I like when uh, for our, our ad reads, I like when we spell things out for people. So the discount code is D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, one word, drop zone. Yes. Usually we expect Thank to be you able for to spell that, that up, but just to make it sure. Uh, let's dive into the Players' Championship all three of you, James, Dylan, and Luke, are all down there in Ponte Vedra, in Jack's. You're staying together. You're recording this together. How are the vibes early this week in, uh, I guess that's northern Florida? How's it going down there? Yeah, I think they've been good, Sean. You know, like the, uh, it, it really does, like every single year, feel like this ticks up another notch in the major championship direction oh the, my god i know i'm not saying we're there yet or necessarily that we should be there but i'm i'm saying directionally we're, we're going that way um and the big reason why is because i thought we heard a lot about the rough at bay hill players moaning and complaining about it but then i get to tbc sawgrass and it all makes sense because the rough is longer and thicker than it was last uh last year and previous years and suddenly it starts to make sense right like they grew up the rough in Bay Hill because they were preparing uh, players for the test of a rough, heavy TPC Sawgrass, which is kind of trending in this major championship style direction. So that's definitely been uh, noteworthy. Uh, obviously, the weather is something we'll talk about, too, that might rumble in. But uh, it's, it's going to be a ball strikers sort of plodders paradise for sure. Luke, I'm glad you brought up the rough here at, at TPC Sawgrass because uh, I, I have a theory that I've been kind of 
working out that uh, the grass seems a little too green for uh, for the purposes of of this time of year in northern Florida. Um, it's it's a completely harebrained conspiracy, I realize, but yeah, I, I have been uh, theorizing that perhaps uh, the PGA Tour staff was out painting the rough to make sure it looked extra perfect this year at the players. Um, but yeah, no, to your point, the course does look in terrific shape right now. Um, I, I think. Depending on what we see with the weather, I, I was thinking the other day about the fact that it seems like every year the winner of this tournament turns into one of the two or three favorites to win the Masters. And I think it's such a good sort of uh, signifier for what's to come for the PGA Tour season. You know, there's been a lot of conjecture, a lot of talk over the last few months, but this feels like the first real big event of the year where it's like, okay, everyone is following. The outcome that, that comes from this is going to sort of set the course for the rest of the PGA Tour season. So yeah, I, I think we're going to get a good week. So long as the weather holds out, and I mean, we came all the way down to Florida, so let's hope we get some sunshine. I came all the way across the nation here, James. I, uh, I took a red eye from Seattle to Orlando, Florida, last night slash this morning. Drove up. I think the best time to visit Orlando may be between the hours of like 5 and 6 a.m. Um, because, That's I mean, you got everything tough. you need. You get your rental cars. You kind of like escape to the beach. Um, they called play Wednesday afternoon, so hopefully no one was really counting on that time to cram last minute for the exam. There was some electrical activity in the area, um, which is definitely – uh, a sign of things to come. It's going to be a wet, wild, windy weekend, and I am psyched. The only thing that I can say to all you guys talking about the condition of the course is that it better be this damn good. Like, that's my response because the PGA Tour, they run a bunch of TPC courses all over the country. And this course, you are not allowed to play on it for like the immediate two weeks preceding this event. You could be Tiger. Tiger Woods is not getting a tee time on TPC Sawgrass the immediate like 10 days prior to this event. They shut it down completely. It doesn't matter who you are. So that's my response. It better look really damn green, James. They've been funneling water and overseed onto this <laughs> thing for a while. Uh, I want to move forward with a discussion on James, uh, not James Monahan, Jay Monahan, Junkyard Jay, as I would like to call him, because. He bared his teeth during his Tuesday afternoon or maybe Tuesday late morning press conference. James, you were there in attendance. Luke, I think you were there in attendance as well. Jay, like this is the commissioner of the PGA Tour who has only listened to the last maybe two or three months of people kind of terrorize some of the things that make up his tour, some of the uh, nonprofit aspects, some of the media rights issues some of the, the PIP issues, some of the things that any tour member doesn't like about it, in particular Phil Mickelson. Jay listened to all that, and he kind of came and sat there for 45 minutes and just kind of unleashed. James, what were your thoughts on Jay's performance? Well, I wrote this in my story yesterday, but I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, he sounded the way that he always sounds, which is to say he sounded, you know, sort of monotone and uh, incredibly well-practiced in the uh, art of not saying anything of interest. Uh, but then when he actually spoke words, the words that came out were kind of shockingly uh, and jarringly strong. Uh, he came out really, really hot against uh, the live golf investments threat that is uh, sort of permeating its way through the golf world. He uh, 
led the entire press conference with an explicit shot against Phil Mickelson and then uh, (laughs) refused to provide any sort of information about whether or not he was suspended uh, in the aftermath of that shot. Um, Yeah, I I thought it was probably the strongest language we've ever heard him use in sort of any conversation with the public. I thought it was a, a really big moment for the tour because they really haven't commented anything about the rival tours and anything about what's been going on with Phil Mickelson. And so to have sort of the the most public facing position at the tour, step in front of the media and deliver what was a a pretty strongly worded evisceration of the state of the game and anyone who wants to stand in the PGA Tour's way, uh, it was surprising to say the least. I keep thinking of Jay as a sergeant these days. Like, you, you watch these war movies, and the, the, like, the sergeant general is like, he's always the one yelling, hold the line, hold the line. And it felt like Jay was actually getting out in front of his soldiers, his Rory's, his John Rahm's, his Colin Morikawa's, and Justin Thomas's, and saying, hold the line. Like, I know we are being advanced upon from these kind of weird angles, but I am going to be the one out front saying, this is my time. I mean, all commissioners have this. David Stern did this in the NBA. Adam Silver has to do it. A lot of commissioners will kind of speak in, in generalities and they'll, they'll, they won't share their exact opinions and they'll kind of be nice with a lot of their public speaking. But then when they kind of get advanced upon and they have to say, no, we're holding the line on this. This is something that we stand for that's when they really like are really blunt and they kind of surprise us. I guess this was surprising um, because it takes a little while for commissioners like opinions to, to, to take their wings. And it felt like Jay is finally taking his wings. What did you think, Luke? Yeah, I was actually really impressed with uh, Monaghan out there. I mean, like credit where it's due, right? Like this, this guy was trotted out there and was just for half an hour, maybe an hour questioned about all sorts of uncomfortable topics from suspensions to legal matters to rival tours to this and that i thought he it was not an easy job you know and he he did a good job with it and so credit where it's due on that front i also think his um i I think his like legacy quote is like exactly pitch perfect message uh that golf fans kind of want to hear right now i mean not to take too macro a view of this but the past two years for everybody everybody's life have been just completely disrupted in every way shape or form right whether it's economically or you know with covid and everything that when this new league comes along part of the backlash resistance from golf fans to it is the fact that it's about to disrupt this sort of thing that we all like which is professional golf uh this thing we understand and relate to and like and him coming out there and saying like no we're we're, going to come down on the side of legacy and even when he was talking about phil mickelson he made you know he took care to note that this guy is a guy who's won you know countless events on the pga tour he is a legend on this tour i think it was like definitely the message that is the most resonant to the people most opposed to like an upstart golf venture. And I thought he came off well. So, you know, yeah. Kind of yeah. One of the biggest topics he was repeatedly asked about was Phil Mickelson. Dylan, you wrote about what, it, what the relationship between Phil Mickelson and Jay Monahan at this point, their relationship right now is not a good one. They have not spoken since, uh, 
you know, the fallout that Phil went under uh, since his announcement he was taking time away, since his quotes with Alan Shubnick were published. Um, at this point, to me, <laughs> to you, to everyone on this call, it sounds like Phil Mickelson is suspended. Whether it's a literal suspension that he has been handed, I don't know if it matters. Phil Mickelson's not playing yeah. the PGA Tour. Um, I would push what- back against that. I, I would say that I don't think he's actually suspended. I think that uh, I believe Monaghan when he says that he hasn't talked to Phil, um, and he's he reiterated that he did a pretty good sit down interview with Mike Tirico actually that was on uh, live from last night. Live from has just been flames this week so far. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that Monahan said was, you know, that he hadn't talked to Phil. He, he was asked if he talked to Norman. He, she was like, nope. And then Tariko was like, would you like to? And he was like, no, I think we're both going down our own paths. <laughs> pretty hilarious. <laughs> uh, and then he was asked explicitly, uh, if Phil was, if Phil would have been allowed to play this week and he paused and then he said, he chose to step away to be able to spend the time to reflect. So it's moot. And then he said later, you know, there's always going to be a place for him to come back when he's ready to have a conversation. We'll have a conversation. So he's sort of in that no man's land between, uh, no, he's not suspended, but he also hasn't like asked permission. He hasn't tried to show up at the thing that he's not supposed to show up at. So, I think it's in that middle ground. That's my best reading of it. Yeah, I think a very fair reading of what you literally just said is that, yeah, he is suspended. I mean, like, you can look <laughs> well, at no it your way. Well, no one suspended him. He suspended himself. This is He took himself to his bedroom. He put himself in timeout. I just, I think, I don't think there's any harm in Jay saying, you know what? Yeah, he's not suspended. Like, he's, he was being asked, has Phil been suspended? What's the harm in, in Jay saying no? Uh, the truth. I think this is a conversation that like Jay doesn't want to have, right? Like I, th- I think it's like he may be suspended if he wanted to play sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but because he doesn't want to play, it kind of exists <laughs> in this space where Phil Mickelson, like the hammer, you know, the, the hammer of justice hasn't been, or the gavel of justice hasn't been like thrown down yet. You know, so he doesn't have to litigate this because Phil's opted to step away. So it's this like it lives in this technicality where nothing's official yet and it doesn't need to be official because Phil has chosen to step away. That's my reading of it. Schrodinger's suspension. Is that what we could call it? <laughs> exactly. In yeah. some ways. Yeah. 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 If you never force Jay to answer the question, as Phil has not done, then he never really has to answer it. So he never, never has to make a decision one way or the other. There's going to be all kinds of rumors. It reminds me of NCAA's when it's like teams um, sanction themselves and then the NCAA kind of accepts that penalty or don't. Um, I think maybe Phil is, you know, he's he's serving his own suspension. He's reflecting. And then, I mean, look, who knows? There, there's no guarantee that we're going to see Phil like begging to come back to the PGA Tour. There might be yeah, some stuff in motion that, that means that he uh, – you know, is not really going to be. All right. Here's what I think is clear. I think it's clear that as long as Phil is continuing to conspire against the PGA Tour, he's not going to be welcome out there. Yeah, that's important. So Jay Monahan said that, right? When when Jay was asked point blank, "Hey, whether or not you have 
truly banned Phil or if you are threatening a ban against players who would entertain the Saudi-backed golf league, what like what is your legal defense? And he has said now repeatedly, the PGA Tour bylaws that players that was made in in the mind of players by players signed by every one of our tour members say that if you are financially or otherwise damaging the PGA Tour's product, then you are grounds to be removed. And I think the the, the most obvious example of that would be Phil literally like drawing up the charter for the Saudi Gulf League, as was reported by Alan Shipnick. So, yeah, that's that would be the grounds that Jay Monahan would stand on, dance on, tromp around on, uh, among other things. And the way he says it, it's right straight from the horse's mouth. It's pretty convincing. All right. Great. One more question for you. Bring it. Because we are in a, an informative podcast, we like to take subjects and break them down into their complexities. Rory McIlroy also spoke about suspensions yesterday, and he said for, uh, I'm not sure if it's the second time or whatever, he said he has always believed that tour fines and suspensions, which are infamously not made public, should be made public, meaning if Rory McIlroy cusses on a broadcast and he gets fined by the PGA Tour 10 grand or 20 grand, Harry Higgs pulls up his shirt, shows off his chest at, at TPC Scottsdale, you know, there was discussions that he would get fined for that. Phil Mickelson and what he's doing right now, whether it's suspension or otherwise, that should be made public according to what Rory McIlroy wants. Now, generally, I would say, Rory, you know, you're one member of the PGA Tour, so your opinions don't hit as hard. But Rory is a special member of the PGA Tour. He has existed on the advisory council as a chairman. He has now moved on to a spot on the policy board. His words matter, frankly, maybe more than any other tour player right now. And so my real question is, do you think that there's a future in which the PGA Tour does make this stuff public? No, I think there's no chance of it. I, 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 it's quite funny, though, that Rory has become just such a Gryffindor that he... Like, <laughs> Wait, what does has, that mean? <laughs> like, he's, he, he's standing up. Like, he should be uh, echoing the players' position right which is that like you protect the players but what's quite interesting is that because Rory just sort of gets up there and has quite a firm sense of what he thinks is right and wrong and also quite a firm sense of just being honest about it that he's actually in a position where he says no no players should know when they get fined and then the tour is sort of saying like no no we shouldn't we need to protect the players by not letting the public know when they're fine I mean granted that's a bit of an earnest reading of it because the tour is also doing this to protect some of their own policies. But I yes. think like it is all things equal more in the player's interest to not know like how much they're fined and for what. And because a lot of the times these fines are for them, you know, losing their temper in a really uh, unbecoming way. And most of the time, like a lot of people probably wouldn't even notice that they uh, were fine. It would have been fine in the first place. There is a argument to be made that the further along we go with sports into the world of gambling, that you need full transparency, not half transparency, not three quarters or whatever the PGA Tour is on that spectrum right now. Rory said, I would love to see full transparency or much better than what the tour has. Because 
What if you bet on Phil Mickelson via DraftKings to win the Masters and you bet on Phil Mickelson one month ago, early February? Phil Mickelson was playing one month ago in Saudi Arabia. Like it looked at that time like he was going to have a chance to play in the Masters. And now it looks like he, you know, he probably won't play in the Masters. Or if you just bet on him to win the players or anything like that. These kind of things matter when it comes to is a player going to be able to play um when when in like should there be an injury report sent around for the pga tour every single week like there is for every other sport that is that is played out on these gambling platforms is i i would say that that is the that's the string that can be pulled from this this gigantic yarn of of secrecy very very quickly sean to your point like i i actually think the tour is going to wind up uh heading forward with with just disclosing a lot more information um i think they'll probably present it to the public as like oh you know look at us making all of these positive changes for the game but i'm telling you because i know this to be true it is driven by the tour's desire if it happens it'll be driven by the tour's desire to expand in the sports gambling world and in the sports gambling space. Um, this is a huge, completely untapped frontier, um, but it can't exist with the level of insider knowledge that that some people who are much closer to the tour than the average fan have. Um, it's a complete competitive disadvantage to the sports gambling world. And yeah, <laughs> we're still in like the very, very early stages of that, but I, I just... I can't see any way in which the tour would not update some of those policies so they can take in what is a metric, metric load of money from it. Well, and the whole point of that is, okay, what, what, um, let's say Matt Every, fair or bad example, what Matt Every might lose in cussing and on camera and throwing his club into the lake in a fine, you know, Matt Every, as a part of the PGA Tour, will earn back in revenues split up among tour players because of like gigantic revenue streams from the gambling space. So, there. What's tricky is that it's all lumped into one, right? Fines and suspensions, like those are two actually drastically different things. What is happening to Phil Mickelson right now compared what to what might happen for for cussing on camera? Um, two very big different things. So. Uh, if the tour can parse between those two, then maybe a future like James said exists. Dylan, any final thoughts? No, it's funny. Patrick Cantley was asked about that, and he was basically like, "Well, you know, I, well, for starters, he said like, yeah, he doesn't actually know what suspensions he's missed out on knowing about because he doesn't <laughs> know about them, which was pretty funny and pretty true. It's like we don't actually know what we've been missing out on this whole time. Uh, and then the second thing he said about injuries was. Like, well, it'd, it would kind of be a pain in the ass to disclose injuries and then be asked about them all the time, which mm. is kind of the point. That's um, what all other athletes deal with. I mean, it is I mean, what all other athletes deal with. If I and could I mean, just, it, s- yes, sorry, Luke. I don't mean to cut you off, Dylan, but I, I just, I talk to coaches all the time about stuff. Like, I can't even imagine what, like, disclosing injuries would look <laughs> like. I know it happens in other sports, but, like, everybody has some kind of physical yeah. something or other like it maybe the threshold just becomes like actual serious injuries where it's keeping you out but 
there are like a lot of them on a steady basis among so many PGA Tour players that a blanket disclose every injury. It just feasibly can't exist. Well, I guess I also don't know what the, you know, how do you enforce any of it, right? Like if you have to WD later in the week and then you hadn't disclosed any injury, like how do you prove that an injury didn't just crop Fines. Up? You get fined publicly. <laughs> I guess so. But then, it's, but I don't know. What if you actually, like, what if you actually hurt yourself during the tournament and you weren't? Yeah, then you can get a secret suspension. It'll come full circle. Well, you know, in soccer, there's this thing where, like, if somebody gets a, gets a back injury, is out with a back injury, that's just code for, like, some other weird issue or oh. that's calling it because you can't, like you can't really diagnose like back issues you know they're like it is just for so many reasons because the spine is so complicated yeah. i mean you can diagnose them, but so yeah it, it would be lots to loopholes for that yeah well we can move on from all this conjecture talk to a truly fake world that we live in when it comes to the pga tour stock exchange we have four different corporations hopefully you guys enjoyed this segment the first time we did it but basically what it boils down to is we've We've put our fake money and we've invested it into the world golf ranking standing of any professional golfer out there. And I thought it was a lot of fun. We've been tracking it week by week by week. Dylan had a bunch of Sath Thigala stock and he has reaped the benefits 147%. His portfolio uh, is leaning hard on that site stock. James, you've done pretty well. You had the most positive return uh, in terms of actual uh, stocks that went positive for you. Scotty Scheffler up nearly 40%. Richard Dick Bland, who I believe Dylan compared to Motorola or Staples, up yeah, 20%. 23%. Will Zalatoris up 10%, offsetting a couple of, I would say, mildly losing stocks. The Zoc Investment Group. A little bit down, but big, big risk take on Bill Haas turning at 27% growth. Uh, and Gary Woodland on the way up. And last but not least, Luke Curtinin absolutely taking up <laughs> the caboose. Uh, all oh, five of your six stocks lost money. Luke Donald uh, lost 3%, and that was essentially a little bit of a net victory for you. Um, Keith Mitchell, the only stock that you own right now. That was positive. Dustin Johnson, you put a, you put, well, you only bought two shares of DJ stock. Uh, the issue is DJ lost 22%. Among the worst stocks that you could have bought it was DJ stock. Anyways, uh, we're going to get back into an, up, an update now. Dylan, you had a, basically a 10%. Uh, yes. Yeah. You just, all right. So we started with 100 bucks each. What are we at right now? <laughs> You're at 110.48. James at 105.01. I am down about two dollars, two or three dollars, ninety-seven, three-six, and Luke is down almost seven dollars at ninety-three. There's not going to be a lot of like plummeting stocks because people just lose their world ranking points <laughs> slowly but surely every single week until they earn them back. But to be down seven dollars after Q1 is not a good look for LKD LLC. So Luke, let's start with you. What what were you annoyed by, and what are what kind of changes are you making with your portfolio? 
Yeah, so look, like I'm not going to sugarcoat this was a pretty grim, tough quarter for LKD LLC. Um, you know, I think the real culprit here is that, you know, we were quite exposed to the European market between Donald <laughs> and Hogard. And I don't want to say that this like Russia Ukraine stuff is like playing a role in sowing uncertainty in the portfolio, but uh, it's definitely something that we're going to have to factor in going forward with our European holdings. So um, that said, you know, we're not going to we're not going to stick with something that's not working. So some big changes coming around. Uh, I actually think starting with the top of the order with Johnson and uh, and Tony Finau, who, you know, lost 21 percent and 13 percent of their value respectively. I actually think we're approaching or we've hopefully hit the floor with those guys. Uh, so I'm not going to exit those positions. I'm going to I'm wow. going to keep I'm going to keep them. Uh, Johnson was always sort of a midterm play anyway, especially with Augusta coming up in midseason form. So I'm going to I'm going to keep the faith with with those guys um i was really happy with how keith, keith mitchell performed but i i'm gonna uh downsize my stake in him so i'm gonna sell about six shares uh, of him wow so i now own 10 shares of keith mitchell uh to raise some cash which i desperately need <laughs> and i'm gonna completely sell exit my positions in rasmus hogard uh patrick rogers and luke donald There's variation between like flyers and good potential that uh just simply simply have become toxic assets in the portfolio. <laughs> and so what I'm doing now in exiting the European market is I'm trying to look for effectively undervalued blue chip stocks, right? That's what I think Johnson- That's what we're all trying to do. That's what I think Johnson and Finau are. So basically I'm looking at players who have held a higher world rank, players towards the top of the uh, official world golf ranking who have held a higher official world golf ranking than they, than they currently are. That makes sense. So leading up that is uh Brooks Kepka. They're currently wow. Kepka uh, stock. Kepka BK stock. season. World number 18 right now. And for a guy who uh and for, for a guy who just inexplicably always shows up at majors and has been as high as world number one and is sort of steady within the sort of four to six range, I think there's a lot of potential value there. So a couple, how many shares of BK? Three shares of BK. Okay. That's what I'm purchasing. Next up, I'm going to get your boy, Sean, Rory McIlroy. Oh, my All right? gosh. Again, You're we're just looking, buying we're, favorites here. Yeah, buying we're looking, the dip. Yeah, we're looking for some stability here, which is what we desperately need. Rory, again, former world number one, but usually a perpetually top six world golf ranking. He's currently in sixth and has been trending up from ninth. So I actually think directionally he's doing pretty well. How oh, much, he's, he's how much Rory stock? Three, three shares of Rory. Okay. And then we're and then we're rounding out ours with uh, four shares of Webb Simpson, okay. who is fresh off fresh off an injury, neck injury. So he hasn't been playing. He hasn't played since Hawaii, and now he's playing the players this week. Uh, obviously, former champion there, world number thirty three. Webb Simpson has been as high as fourth in the Fisher World Golf Ranking. So if we just say that he just shows up and starts playing. I, th I think there's some room for growth there, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> this podcast is almost exclusively ragged on, thanks to me, th Rory McIlroy as of late. Not a bad guy to buy. Um, plenty of room for growth with him. But the gap between him and the uh, the top few guys right now is pretty significant in terms of thank you stock price. So that is interesting. Yes. And, Not and, and the way I see it, in all seriousness, is that I have, uh, you know, what, one, two three world, former world number ones in my portfolio 
probably two or three guys who could get back there in some way, shape, or form. Simpson, who's coming off an injury, and for now, who just has had an atrocious start to the season. You just dropped um, another one, though, Luke. Luke Donald, former world number one, is now on your bench. Yeah. You Luke's know what? Like looking at the, the 12-year history of AOL and being like, well, AOL was a great stock at one point. <laughs> Well, to be fair, Luke Donald only lost 3% of his value. That's the second highest performing share. Yeah, I know that was a surprising <laughs> drop. He's probably going to win the Valspar and you're going to regret this. Uh, as the second worst performing portfolio, third best, if you want to be optimistic about it, I will go next. Um, bottom line, I'll make this quick. I'm selling my Reed stock. Patrick Reed was a disgrace. Uh, his equipment changed to PXG has not been good. Uh, and as I, a fellow read owner, I, I feel this pain. Yeah, my I, goodness. I don't think it's turning around anytime soon. I'm also selling my Austin Eckroat stock. I don't know when he's going to play next. This is a guy in the Corn Ferry Tour. It was a risk when I took him, um, but he flirted with contention with all of his sponsors exemptions. He just never actually closed on the weekends. So he's out. I'm also selling high on Bill Haas. I'm getting out of the Haas game. Um, I just think that the, the meat of the tour season has stronger fields that uh, he's just going to struggle with them. And, you know, to gain almost 27% profit on, on Billy Haas, that was a plan that worked. And if he wins now, I'll be kicking myself, but we're selling and we're selling and we're selling. Uh, that basically brings me $35 in sold assets to run around with. I've decided to bolster my holdings. So I'm buying two more shares of Brooks Kepka. We're wow. same exact reason. What are you up to now? <laughs> uh, six now. Same exact reason why Luke is buying Kepka stock. I am buying it more of it because he's Mr. Major. This is uh, you know he's not running quite into his wedding time of the year either. He's going to get married later this year. That's I think in Q4, maybe Q3. Um, so Brooks is going to want to play well before the wedding. I'm buying. Three more shares of Gary Woodland stock, also bolstering my position there. I think it's the best stock going. You know, some people will say that Sath, Thigala, or Scotty Scheffler are the two best stocks in this group, but Woodland, hopefully you guys buy in on this. I would, I would, it would behoove you to buy some wood stock. Um, and then I'm holding my Jaeger stock, Steven Jaeger. I've got 11 shares of Steven Jaeger. I think it's bottoming out. This is a guy who dominated the Corn Ferry Tour last year. This is a guy who's – I might just hold on to him all year long because he's going to play like 15 more events. The opportunities are going to be there, and I don't think he gets much lower in value. My remaining funds, you'll note that I sold Patrick Reed. He was a top 30 player. He was part of the PIP DAC. I sold on him, so I mean I need to buy back into the PIP DAC. I'm buying up three shares of Oost. That's O-O-S-T, Louis Oosthuizen. He's going for $4.84 a share. This is a guy who has a great WGC match play history, uh, great history at the Masters. He thrives during major season. He's got the divisor on his side when it comes to world golf rankings. So I've got Oosthuizen stock. I'm buying up seven shares of someone who's kind of like Bill Haas. Wow. This is a guy on career earnings exemption. That's Nick Watney. 54 cents a share of Nick Watney. I'm going to get seven shares of him. This is a guy who's playing for his life. He's playing for his tour card. He almost won a tournament in the fall. 
He's kind of turned things around this spring. He's got a couple solid starts. That's all he needs is like a couple good finishes, and he'll get his tour card back. I want a guy who's hungry. Finally, my last position, I'm getting eight shares at 42 cents a share of the up-and-comer, a guy who cannot legally drink, I don't think yet, Akshay Batia. He won on the Corn Ferry Tour earlier this year. He was a, a hot stock for a minute there. Then he went MC, MC, WD because he was celebrating, I imagine, his victory. But he has turned it back around recently. And I think the fact he's got the divisor on his side, the meat of the Corn Ferry Tour season, he's going to play freely. and He's going to earn me some money. So six Kepka, three Louis, 24 Gary Woodland. Feels so good about that. 11, Steven Yeager, 7, Nick Watney, and 8 shares of Akshay Batia. Anyone have any thoughts on those holdings? What's Akshay's price right now? $0.42 cents a share. Sean, I'll admit, I'm, concerned, I'm, I'm concerned by your, uh, by your obsession with the penny stocks. That's a dangerous <laughs> game. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen many a man go broke on this. You know, I'm just, as a <laughs> I'm friend, also concerned. I just, yeah, I want to, I want to, just make sure that that was said. There's some risk that we're taking on here, not you know buying into the whole meat of the season, buying into some big names. I'm really all in on Brooks, and I kind of just like kind of need Louis to kind of just man up and get it done. But Sean's like your your Brooks is kind of like your uh, he's like the linchpin of the whole thing. He's your your stable whatever it is, your AAA rated yep. bond, and then everything else is like. You know, you got a <laughs> condo in Florida and a golf course that never quite got developed. And yeah, and near and the coast. That you, <laughs> Hurricane you <kinda> season. Just, <laughs> you kind of slap a few of those together and you hope the bank doesn't notice. <laughs> oh, I love that comp. Uh, let's move on. We've got two more portfolios here. <laughs> James had... I hope no one with a true understanding of the financial <laughs> system breaks that down too, too carefully. <laughs> James, you had, you had infamously... You had invested in five players, not six. Six is the maximum. Four is the minimum. Five you found to be a happy medium. You had Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler, which paid huge dividends, nearly 40%. Matthew Wolf, which was a pretty big loss for you and for Dylan. Um, Will Zelatoris, who damn near won you an event. And then Dick Bland, Mr. Staples himself, a 20%, 23%, I believe, growth on that stock, which you were chided for. At this point, we have nothing else to do but say, hey, we got to respect the kid. He comes out guns a-blazing. How is your portfolio changing this quarter? We have, we have some changes, but before we get into that, I, I would like to start by uh, reading a letter from the chairman of our board, James Colgan, um, over <laughs> at Colgan Financials. Dear fellow investors, surely you jest. And surely, your investors must be holding their breath. As has been widely reported, Richard Dick Bland had a robust Q1. For months, I've fought for the rights of 49-year-old professional golfers from England. Yet for months, you have put your jokes and punchlines above your respect of his performance. When you try to bluff and intimidate investors by bullying and threatening them, you are guilty of going too far, being unfair, and... All right, no, that's, I mean, that's probably illegal. Simply put, you can't blame me from, and you can't stop me from investing in Richard. I know for a fact that others are interested in him as well. And what's wrong with that? 
Investors, this is just the beginning. It's certainly not the end. Sincerely, Greg, uh, James Colgan. Please. All right. So please, please tell me you're going deeper into bland stock. So, <laughs> so now that we've, now that we've, uh, that, that that's been read, I, you know, I'm glad that we've kind of set, set the board even there. Consider that my victory lap. Um, I'd like to announce I'll be selling out of my position <laughs> oh, in that old stock. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sticking. Yes. I'm sticking with Richard. I'm sticking with Richard, but I'm selling out of my position in Matt Wolf's stock. Okay. Uh, it was, it was too much money. I simply, uh, I was anticipating a return that just I didn't see in his performance. Um, I still have a lot of faith in him as a player, but uh, for now, for me, it's time for me to move on. Um, in his place, I'm going to be buying. Three shares of Brooks Kepka oh my at gosh. a little over four dollars. Now the Dilution. reasoning here is, I mean, just looking at his value, I think he's being insanely undervalued right now. And if anything from his career has taught us anything, it's that majors are really where you know he makes his money, as has very, very clearly been shown. So you know, we'll take the risk. If he if he wins a major, he's going to shoot up. His his value is going to be. 10, I'll tell you one thing. There's no risk in it now. Week. Now that everyone in this entire call is taking him, there's actually it's only room for Dylan to gain or risk by missing out on him. See, but it's it's a small enough position. It's just fourteen bucks. I, that's a risk that that I'm willing to take, <laughs> given the given the extreme performance of the rest of my portfolio. Um, then in the remainder of my stocks, uh, I have uh, seven shares of. Francesco Molnari at just about one dollar. Um, he's playing really well this year. He's had uh, his first top ten in a very long time at the American Express. Uh, his strokes gain values are all significantly higher than his current ranking in the OWGR. I think it's the sort of position. I'm not sure we're ever going to see 2018, 2019 Frankie Molnari again, but I do think that the version of him we'll see over the next six months is probably better than his ranking is currently. So I think that's a good opportunity for some growth. Um, and then finally, with my remaining $2 and uh, roughly 17 cents, unofficial math, yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to be buying one additional stock of Richard Bland. Um, <laughs> the, man, the man has done no wrong by me thus far. I simply can't see that being a poor investment heading forward. Uh, am I a little concerned about the strength of schedule during Q2? Yes, I actually I'm very concerned by it. Uh, I, I'm not sure that he's going to be able to hang on. But that said, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. I, I'm willing. I'm willing to stick by my man. Uh, he's done right by me. It's the least I can do. I feel do. like James Rich. is just sitting down at the sitting down at the blackjack table, and he went to hit on 18, and and his buddies at the table were like, "Dude, what? No, you can't hit on 18. You're in it." And they go back and forth and back and forth. He's like, I'm hitting it. I'm feeling it. Boom, a three comes. And now James has just been dealt another 18, <laughs> and he's hitting again. <laughs> he's going back to the well. And James, I hope you get a three for your sake. I'm just not sure it's coming. Yeah, and I, I you know, frankly, looking at the math right now, I think you have a lot. I think you have like an extra three dollars and fifty cents to to move around if you'd like <laughs> yeah, you want some more i do i thought i had i didn't think i had i thought i had less than that i thought it was like 23 well if that's the case 
You know what? I'll put that in Frankie Molinari. I kind of like okay. I kind of like nine shares, nine ten shares of Frankie. Uh, I think that's I think that's a really good bet in Q two. I think so I think we can get you I'll up to that. we can get you up to eleven shares of Frankie. We'll call it a great. Day. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's absolutely rip, what? Richard. If you're listening to this, I, I love just... you. I'm behind you. <laughs> and, and, and I do think just some quick context here that. <laughs> You know, Dick Bland is a 49, a peaking 49 year old British golfer who got COVID <laughs> and a shoulder injury during the off season. It's unbelievable. And he almost beat Rory McIlroy. And that I'm out here investing in Dustin Johnson and losing. <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't know what crazy, crazy market. I think I, I, bu- <laughs> think I said this during our last, uh, during our last episode, but if I didn't, uh, sometimes it's the people no one expects anything of who do the things and no one can imagine. I, you know, I want I want you guys to keep that with you for for the rest of your investing yeah. days. I have that I have that tatted on the back of one of my calves. Thank you, James. Yeah, James, if if Richard Bland makes money this quarter, I will get a sign that says that, and I will have it engraved, and I will send it to your home. You know, that I would lovely. love, if and I'll pay Bond for just it. Announces that he is the new. I would love if Richard Bland just becomes the new face of the Ella, of the Saudi Golf Tour. <laughs> ditches the PGA Tour. To be fair, he's not a tour member, uh, so he probably Points could. available. Um, all right, Dylan, you are the Q1 winner you by a long shot, and I guess yeah. Um, but you had you had some actual touchy stocks that didn't do so well for you, Patrick Reed. Like I said, big loss there. Matthew Wolf, seventeen percent loss. Patrick Rogers also at a loss, but Taylor Pendrith, mm-hmm. Satigala, and Martin Trainer, our boy, with a nearly six percent increase in value. You love seeing that out of the trainer train. I mean, the thing about a great fund like mine is that you really just need to make some some tweaks, do a little fine tuning, and actually the stocks that I liked in Q1 that lost, I like them even more now. Um, that's not the case actually at the top. In the pip deck, <laughs> I'm changing things up. I am. I mean, I got to make a gut call right now that I've. Can I change based off your all information? I guess that is the. You've always gone last in this entire thing, so that's the the benefit of going last. But I'll stick with what I've got. I have Brooks Kepka, and I've got four shares of Brooks Kepka, which means we've all Wait, selected. What are you? The same but who guy. are you selling? Oh, uh, well, I'm I'm out of my positions on Patrick Reed and Matthew Wolf. Okay, um, you're buying in on like the Kepka. buying on Kepka four shares and buying in on Will Zalatoris five shares number 30 in the world he just he hits the ball so good uh he's made for major championship season to some extent he thinks he is which is half the battle um and look guys I I explored I looked to see if the grass was greener in the rest of my stocks but I'm holding all of them different different values I'm going to redistribute We've still got Taylor Pendrith. We're gonna have twenty-five shares of him. Okay, uh, sold 80 off. Eighty cents a ten piece. Ten shares of Pendrith. Mm-hmm. Patrick Rogers. We're gonna have twenty shares oh, of him. Oh gosh, he's going deep on the gala. <laughs> now at just seventy-six cents. Twenty shares of the gala, who's just been, you know, just a delightful member of the portfolio, and. Um, Round that out with, I believe, 42 shares of, of Martin Trainer stock. <laughs> what started as a meme stock, I mean, look, this is kind of like GameStop. You kind of, 
one day people are just trolling Wall Street on Twitter. The next day, they're hiring a bunch of former Amazon executives trying to make an honest company out of it. And I think that that's what you're going to see out of Martin Trainer here in Q2. So let me check this out, Dylan. Four shares of Brooks, five of Salatoris, 20 of Rogers, 25 of Pendrith, 20 of Tagala, and 42 of Trainer. Yeah, is that math not adding up to you? So I think the issue we're running into is that when you make $110 from Q1, that's your money that you can spend. I was just going back to $100. (laughs) All right. Have you ever Um, ever played around with the stock market? Generally, when you have money, you you can keep it. And, and you can respond. Well, just you could issue a good problem to have. Could, could issue a dividends <laughs> to your shareholders. Uh, you know what? We're so gonna just take that fifteen dollars and go. We're buy gonna them. keep our strong position in Pendrith. Bump that up to thirty-five shares. All right, you've got and uh, you've got about and two dollars left add over. Another. Uh, we're gonna bump up our Rogers position to. Uh, get like three more. You know, twenty-three. Yep, that's 23. it. 23. 23. We've solved the riddle. Thank you for... And then maybe we get another quarter quarter share of Martin Trainer. Uh, maybe. Dylan, can I ask why you're still so high on Patrick Rogers in all seriousness? Because I obviously sold my position. I kind of thought he was going to be a West Coast play. Why? why, why? I, I want to hear from Warren Buffett of, of golf shareholding himself. Why Patrick I mean, Rogers? look, my investment team certainly doesn't want me going too deep on that sort of information but uh i mean i think it's just as simple as i just can't really quit patrick rogers i i thought he was gonna get off to a hot start and now that he hasn't and he's available at an even better price i mean gosh i don't know he's just i think he's just better than he's valued at he's he's better than middle of the pack in terms of strokes gained on the pga tour um you know, he hasn't been hitting it that well, but he's just a good golfer. I don't know. I just think it has to turn at some point. It's such a such a low value. He's going to play a bunch of events. If you're still listening to the podcast at this point, I commend you. We appreciate your support for this wacky, goofy game. Dylan is your winner in Q1, but that doesn't matter. This is a year-long, well, fiscal year, PGA Tour-long season. Uh, that will run through the Tour Championship. It's still very close. We have not lost hope on LKD LLC. That we're starting, to, we're starting to get worried. Um, but thank you guys all for 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 tuning in, and thank you to these idiots for contributing. And uh, I'll have another drop zone Sunday night. See ya.